Welcome back to the Takeover Podcast 2020 edition, podcast number five. I'm Ryan Flattery here with Sam Ringle and Rowan Kent. New decade, new takes. Oh yeah, I'm here for it. And before we get into our real content, I have a question for Ringgold. After the after the Eagles Seahawks game, what would, what do you tweet out in your burner account? Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, to be honest, so I was at that game. Um, really heartbreaking. It was my first playoff game. I was my dad and some friends. Um, you know, I wasn't really that upset. I, I was upset with with the way the NFL handled the situation or the lack thereof, you know, the action they didn't take. And I was upset that there was no penalty called. I thought it was clearly an illegal hit. And on Clowney. On, from Clowney on Wentz. And you know, you know what they say, karma's a bitch. Clowney got penalized the next week and I was really happy about it. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I'm really just upset that Carson couldn't get a playoff game in. That was the point of the season to get him playoff experience and it, you know, he didn't get that, and that really upset me. I didn't expect to win the game with 40-year-old Josh McCown. I wasn't as upset with the loss. You know, you hate to see your season end, but, you know, I wish once, once would have gotten to play. So you didn't tweet at Clowney to go kill himself? No, no. I, I, I wasn't going to do that. I, I really, no, I was just kind of kind of upset with the situation. Though. But I, I, my burner account was not too active. I mean, if I were you, I'd be more upset that Wentz had to self-report the concussion and that the NFL didn't catch that on any of the replays and that he had to pull himself out of the game instead of the safety protocols being there. I think that's probably a worse look. Like, obviously, I agree that it was an out-of-the-bounds-of-play hit, but that's a little more concerning for the league if they can't be protecting young quarterbacks like that. Yeah, from a, a player health standpoint and with all this NFL... Uh, focus on safety. That's definitely concerning. Apparently, Wentz was like not seeing clearly. He had to go up to McCown and tell him, you know, hey, you need to get ready. You, you're you're gonna have to go in, which is definitely concerning from from the league standpoint. Um, so I agree with you there. That that upset me, but I guess in the moment, my initial reaction was I was upset with the hit, and I was upset that the NFL didn't, you know, really like they even said like it wasn't. A, John Runyon said it was a fine, a legal hit, which is kind of annoying. Mm-hmm. But well, we'll get to all of that. Let's dive into some more hoops. We've gone through the Christmas Day games. We're getting towards the All-Star break in Chicago this year. And given how close we are, let's think about some of the All-Star teams we've got. Maybe who deserves to get in, who doesn't, who's going to get snubbed. Is there anyone who you really think doesn't deserve to get in off the jump? Maybe out of the fan vote or anything? <laughs> There's a lot of them. <laughs> you want to start? Um. <laughs> I mean, Crusoe obviously <laughs> deserves it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> they go. Um, yeah, like Taco Falls on there. Oh my god. Like, D Rose. D Rose. Like, D Rose has had a good season, but like not all star worthy. No. Um, Kyrie Irving. No, yeah, Kyrie, played. Even like He's played like 14 games. games. Kyrie's played 14 games. Yeah, yeah, staff doesn't deserve it. Dwight Howard doesn't deserve yeah. it. Uh, it's really annoying. Like, uh, the fan vote, need, I think it needs to way in less because the fans are delusional it's <laughs> like a good meme yeah it's just <laughs> yeah i mean until we see it actually lead to a guy like caruso is averaging six <laughs> points and one steal in about 14 minutes off the bench if, if he gets in 
then it'll be a little bit more. I mean, Jeremy Lin had a good run, and he didn't get anywhere close. So it's kind of interesting to see how social media has definitely tilted the voting. Because mm-hmm. it used to be just like the old NBA website, and that was <laughs> it was pretty bad. Yeah. But now you can have retweets go for votes, and some days are double. So that's really pushing people who are like, oh, my starting lineup of Caruso and Fall is going <laughs> to be great for Chicago. Is there any player that's been playing right now, like, you know, a star level who has a decent argument that you don't think deserve it, whether in the East or West? I've got one that's probably a very hot take. I think there's a harder argument for Trey Young being in this All-Star game than people are giving it credit for. Young is leading the votes for East guards. He's been great, 29 points a game, eight and a half assists. He's shooting about nine and a half threes per game at a 37% clip. These are really elite numbers. It shows that he put in a lot of work. But I find it really hard to take an all-star starter from the clear worst team in the East. They're nine and 32 and are. I get that sometimes stars don't have a lot of support around them. But at some point, when do you hold someone accountable for getting wins? That's, yeah, I, I don't know. Would you then argue that Kemba should start over him? I think they should both start. They should both start? Yeah. Then, I guess, like, my starters would be Trey Young, Bradley Beal, Giannis, Siakam, Embiid. I don't know. I think, I don't know if I'd put Kemba over either Beal or Trey Young. Like, yeah. I guess if you go with how teams are doing, then you put Kemba over Trey Young. Or, I guess... Both those teams are Wizards and Hawks have been trash. That's the problem. Beal's putting up about similar numbers, 27, 5, and 6. He's taking 20 shots a game. He is their offense. These two guys are just the singular talents. Yeah. If you're, I mean, I mentioned Davis Bertans a few weeks ago, but again, if that's the third best guy, like, between these two teams, geez, it is (laughs) rough for those fan bases. And I find it kind of hard. How do you consider these not just empty numbers? Like, Devin Booker, for many years, has just been considered a guy who chucks up shots because the Suns are a smoldering crater of basketball sadness. How are these guys not the same? Yeah, I I agree with that. And another guy that comes to mind when you talk about guys like that is Zach Levine. Yeah. Um, And I actually had him in my category of somebody who actually deserves it this year. Zach Levine's shooting 40% from three this year, and he's averaging almost 25 points per game. His three-point percentage is up in his career. Um, I, I think that he probably deserves it this year. I know the Bulls aren't great, but I still, I don't know, I kind of like the way he's playing right now. He's a fun guy. He really has a lot of like, offensive freedom yeah. based on, again, the lack <laughs> of talent around him. He's, but the difference is, I feel like Levine, if he had similar stats to these guys, would be a shoe-in based on him being in the ninth spot tied with the Pistons. They, he's right there. If there's a team like Brooklyn that really falls which they started to towards the end of Kyrie's injury time. If a team like that falls and the Bulls figure out how to play one side of the floor along with the other at the same time in the game, because they haven't, and if their coach gets out of the way, instead of saying one day that he's going to call timeouts if players get hurt, and then he stares at his player as he's down (laughs) with a sprained ankle, if that team ever got anything figured out, Levine would be a shoo-in. But... I still think I'd put Young and Beal over Levine. Yeah. Even though they're on such terrible teams. 
their individual brilliance gives me some pause, but both of those guys are better than Levine this season, and they all kind of fall into that same boat for me. Right. Um, so another guy that I, I think actually deserves it, uh, can we talk about DeMontis Sabonis? Yeah. This guy, him. I mean, this guy's having a career year, 18 points per game, 13 rebounds per game, 53% from the field. Um, the Pacers have been surprisingly good this year without Oladipo this far, and I think a large part of that is uh, because of DeMontis Sabonis. I, I think he's got a legit case to make it into the um, All-Star game. Obviously, he's not going to start over Embiid, but I think he could easily be on that bench. Yeah, I definitely think so. Sabonis is a guy who, he does all of his damage inside, but he does it in a very artful way that either draws a double that he can kick out or he just scores over them. And it does create a problem as the league has kind of realized. Miles Turner and Sabonis can't play together. Right. Mm -hmm. But they both have a lot of money. So if Sabonis makes an all-star team before Miles Turner, how soon do the Pacers really have to make a trade for Turner? They got to do it soon. That was my hot take from last time. They were going to trade him to Boston because Boston's looking for maybe a bigger man. So um, they got to do that soon, especially if Sabonis sneaks in. But I think he's been a pleasant surprise for them. Yeah. Just, I don't know if they'd want to trade it to drive. Right. That's the thing. Yeah. yeah. Maybe like, I don't know, like Portland or something like that. Portland has a lot of money. But yeah, that's the thing. Hassan yeah. Whiteside, Dame, and CJ already take up so much money. It's, a tough, it's tough with, with all these big contracts. Yeah, I think another guy who deserves to make an all-star team for the first time is Bam Adebayo. Yes, yes. I strongly agree. Been just so good this year, dominating the paint. He's been super efficient. Like, I think you said a podcast or two ago, he's been like the new Draymond. Yeah, <laughs> he does a lot of the same things. He's up to scoring from about 15 and a half. He's up to 16, 10, four and a half assists, a steal, and a block. He, he's right now Draymond without shooting and without the same kind of like elite skills. He's a step down right yeah. now. But he brings the same sort of stuff to that Heat team. I mean, the Heat are in second right now. That's why you're able to I slotted Butler in there as well. Yeah. I guess the, the knock about Butler, he's not shooting great at all. But what he's doing is he's bringing value on all other parts of the floor. I guess here's one that I'm really curious to what you guys think. I looked and I, I really kind of struggled putting teams together. I couldn't put Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum. Oh, I put Tatum team. on, but not Jalen Brown. Why Tatum over Brown? Uh, I was just looking at their numbers, and Tatum's been just slightly better. This, I think it was like just barely. Like they've basically been the same player, but Brown Tatum. is shooting six percent higher on field goals than Tatum. Tatum's at about forty-three. Yeah. Brown's at forty-nine. Tatum's been scoring a bit. I guess he averaged like one more point a game. He's at about one point higher. So he's less efficient, though. A lot less efficient. Yeah, you're right. Forty-two point nine percent from the field for Tatum this year. That's his career low. Yeah, but how many? In terms of shots, he's taking five more a game than he has before. So that's a pretty understandable like trend. The more shots you take, usually the worse your efficiency yeah. gets. It so, feels kind of wrong to not put either of these two guys on. Yeah, I think. especially since the Celtics have been so good this year. Yeah. Yeah, I, one of them probably makes it in. And I, I agree with Fudd, it's probably Tatum. Yeah, just because he's the bigger name. I think he's yeah. the more first option compared to Brown is more second, third. So you think Boston sends two then, Kemba and Tatum? Yeah. I think there's going to be one spot for these four guys. Tobias Harris. Chris Middleton, Jalen Brown, and Jason Tatum. 
and I think that's a really See, yeah, I kept I kept Milton off and put really? Tatum in. Yeah, but that's just tough because the Bucks have been on a whole nother level. But I don't know. I was just looking at the numbers. Just like yeah, because I haven't watched every game to like really analyze. So just looking at numbers, I gave edge to Tatum. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it's funny because I don't think any of these guys would make it if they were in the West. <clears throat> Depending on where their teams were, if they were again, you're talking about guys like the the, the reason that it's hard to leave Brown and Tatum off is because they are clearly the 2A and 2B in Boston, which is right. the top three team. Right. If we were talking about, as we'll get to in a little bit in the West, guys who are the 2A or the 2B on some of the top West teams, it's a reason I think with the Utah Jazz you're going to get two guys in or something like that. It really does matter in the same way that how are we going to let two guys like Trey Young and Bradley Beal, whose teams are nowhere close to being relevant this season, take spots over guys like Brown and Tatum. Ah, it's yeah. interesting. What do you guys think about Devin Booker making it this year? Curry's down, Clay's out. What do you guys think? Does he think make it? He makes it 100%. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, I do too. Booker's, for one, he's continued to put up the points even as they've increased their winning ways. Sometimes you'll see guys, as the team gets better, they go down. The most impressive part to me with Booker has been his shooting. He's in the very similar vein of all these guys like Levine, Beal, the ones we yeah, kept mentioning. Yeah. He's shooting 50% from the field, 35% from three, and 90 from free throw line. These are really elite numbers that he's doing when the entire defense knows, oh, when someone has the ball, it's either going to be dumped into the post for eight inner veins Rubio's going to pass it, or Booker is shooting this. They are not worried about Kelly Oubre, no matter how <clears throat> above average he's played. And how and, looking he is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no matter how much the defense wants to go and stare into the corner at his beautiful face, Booker has put up impressive numbers, so I think he gets in for the first time. I mean, in the West, I don't think you guys will have any arguments about Doncic, Harden, LeBron, Davis, and Leonard no. being the starting five. No, not at all. I think that since it's like three front court, Doncic again, there's one that when I when we get to snubs in the West will be really important. It's hard to overstate the fact that it's so just oh of course it's so obvious to us that Doncic should be in when he's a second year player yeah. who if even is able to have a legal drink in the United <laughs> States younger than all of us <laughs> and putting up twenty nine ten and nine and we're just. It's become so ingrained already in the league that he is a star who this year and maybe for years to come deserves to start. Yeah, it happens so fast. Yeah. One thing that's interesting is if they're going by like positions for the starters or whatever, the, like a two-guard, three-forward type of deal, then between LeBron, Luka, Anthony Davis, and Kawhi, you got to choose three out of those four. So, like, at least on mine, like, I had Lillard and Harden starting for the two guards, mm -hmm. and I kept Kawhi off. Okay, but he made the team. He made the I team, yeah. yeah. But in terms of starting, if you're going with two guards, three forwards, I kept Kawhi on the bench. Yeah, no, I think that's kind of an interesting one. Between LeBron, Davis, and Kawhi, if you can only put two on, why did you leave Kawhi off for Davis and James, then? Uh... I kept Davis on for size, if he's going to have to guard him. Be, I mean, it doesn't really matter because it's an all-star game. Mm. But And then Luka has just put up insane numbers. And then I put LeBron over Kawhi just because of his assist numbers. He had doubled him in assists. So other yeah. than that, they're very similar. Leading the league. Yeah. 
I can give you a person I think will be snubbed from the West. Interesting. DeMar DeRozan. Um, mm-hmm. This dude's been snubbed a few times before, I think. He's averaging 22.6 points per game, 54% from the field for a guard, and 32% from three, the latter two being career bests. San Antonio obviously started off the year a little bit slow, but I think they're in a playoff spot right now, maybe the eighth seed, or they were recently. Um, DeRozan's having arguably the best year of his career this year on a team that's in playoff contention, but he's not in the voting, the fan voting at all right now. I think it's because there's other Western teams and Western players, and the West is so stacked that they're probably getting more attention than him, but low-key, he's having a pretty good season so far. He falls into that same group for me. I also wrote down about how good of a shooter he is. He's falling into that sort of clear 13th best guy in the conference sort of spot that it was with like Brown and Tatum for me, where if there was one more spot, it would be so easy to take a guy like this. But as you mentioned, the Spurs are in contention, but they're sitting ninth because the Memphis Grizzlies have rattled off a number of wins since John Morant came back. And I'm going to lead right into him because he has – Probably, I'd say, the strongest case outside of even DeRozan. I don't think he does based on his age, but since he came back in early December, they've been, I want to say, top five in points. They've been top in pace. They've been very good at offense. Jaws done things like playing the Rockets, scoring 26 points and taking over the fourth. He's a rookie. It's so rare for rookies to make the game. The last one, I believe, was Blake Griffin. I think it was Blake. But also, he got to be in an NBA program in the same way Simmons did, getting mm-hmm. to heal after his injury. Yao Ming might have been someone back in the day. Shaquille O'Neal, I don't even know if he made it his rookie year. LeBron did not yeah, make it his rookie year. So, Anthony Davis may have. No, Davis, not. he averaged about 14 in his early year. Okay. And he kind of got like, banged around. It, it's such a huge leap. I don't know if Jordan did in his rookie year. I'd have to go look back. But it, it it's reserved for the guys like that. Yeah. It's reserved, obviously, it's a different era for the Wilt Chamberlains who average 50 and 25 when they come in the league, which <laughs> anytime you mention a Wilt number, it kind of, like, makes your eyes water from, like, the brilliance of it. But I think Moran, shooting 49%, 40% from three, and I, he's, he's not just, like, Ben Simmons in it and getting lucky. <laughs> he's taking about two and a half a game. And this was not his strength in college. Yeah, averaging like 20 points a game, too. 18, he, I think. Yeah, he's at 18 and 6. And so he's really one that you can think about. Do you, either of you have Russell Westbrook on your teams? I do. Interesting. I, I did not. Why I, do you have Westbrook on there? Uh, fan vote, he's just a big name. And uh, he's not shooting well, but is putting up the numbers. He's shooting so, terribly, man. Yeah. He's so bad right now from shooting. Yeah, he's... I just figured with his name and, like, the, just the numbers he's put up, he'll probably get in. Yeah, it's a fair argument. James Paul Harden, Harden. Oh, yeah, by James the way, Harden. I just want to say, yeah, say averaging, what, he's averaging, like, 38 or 39 a game right now. 37.2. That's, it's yeah, bit, but it's ridiculous. Like, it's, like that's, cr- think about how crazy that is to be averaging that many points per game. Yeah. And, like, I know, he, like, the other night he took, like, 19 threes. So, like, I know his volume is huge, but still, to be averaging that many points per game is an impressive thing in and of itself. Yeah. And he really isn't getting a lot of MVP chatter. It's kind of been Giannis or LeBron so far. How are you ignoring a guy who's scoring the most since, again, eyes watering, Will Will Chamberlain (laughs) or Kobe Bryant? (laughs) Like guys who just put the ball in the hoop. It's pretty mental. 
I was trying to say, Paul George, do you guys have him on either of your teams? He's on the bench. Yeah, yeah. I think he's, he's on the bench. Even though he hasn't played a ton this year, he's been out with injury for yeah. a lot of the year. I think he sneaks in. If you had to choose between, for one spot again, hypothetical, Paul George, Brandon Ingram, and Shea Gilgis-Alexander, it's a really hard one, I think. It's harder than you think, because the, like, the instant reaction would probably be Paul George. But this year, I'd yeah, say this Ingram. year it might have to be Ingram, dude. I was gonna say, so I want to talk about him. I had him in my snubs category because I don't think he's gonna get in. Like I said, I, I think a guy like Paul George would probably get in over him. You watched game last night? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what the Ingram is averaging twenty five points per game. It may have gone up a little bit because I got that number before well, last night. So, forty <laughs> um, percent from three and six point eight rebounds per game. So I think those are all career best. I think his move. To New Orleans, that trade really, really helped him. He needed the like he really needed something like that. I mean, the jump he has made from last year to this year may have put him in like the most improved category for this year. Um, I think he gets snubbed this year. I, I don't think like I like I said, there's so many big names in the West, but I think it's definitely worth noting what he's been able to do. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just wondering if his numbers will go down when Zion comes back. Yeah, that's a it's a really interesting one. I wouldn't guess from day one unless Zion really is 100% healthy and has, as David Griffin said, he's just a superhuman in terms of putting on eight pounds of muscle yeah. for one week of the offseason. How do you do that? The most weight I've put on was over something like Christmas break, and that was like eating. Yeah. I don't understand how you put on eight pounds of muscle in one week. I don't think that Zion's going to immediately upset Ingram's shot attempts. I think he's going to upset the minutes of guys like Derek Favors and Jackson Hayes, who are playing at that four and five sort of spot. Ingram slid between the three and the four. I think the the one thing with Ingram is it's such a big jump. Last year, he was shooting 33%, so he's jumped seven percentage points on his threes. And last year, he was shooting a little under two threes a game, and he's up to six. Yeah, that's he's crazy. He's tripled his amount of yeah. ones taken, and he's gone up in percentage. And... I've looked at like a side-by-side comparison of his shot. It's very clear that he worked on his shot. His elbow doesn't flare out. He gets his hips facing the basket, and he has a quicker release. So he really has made the technical things to change. But I'd worry a little bit to see, as you're saying, if it starts to go down when you know the going gets tough. I still, I think I'd put him in. I'd put Mitchell in too. Oh yeah, yeah Mitchell's in. Yeah. Mitchell was great last night. I put Gobert. Oh, yeah, yeah. I wanted to talk about him. I don't think he gets in. Why not? Like, I, I, I just think... So his numbers aren't super flashy when you, like, when you look at what he's doing. He's averaging 14.9 points per game, 14.5 rebounds per game, which are good, like, solid center numbers. But he's also averaging 68% from the field. That's the number that jumps out at me. Granted, everything he's doing is in the paint. And he's also put up... 6.3 wind chairs on basketball reference. I don't usually take into that. I don't take in that stat super, you know, I don't, I don't care about it that much, but I think in this case it's kind of significant when you think about other guys who we are talking about in the all-star category like Brown and Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum who are only at like 3.6-ish wind chairs. Um, I just don't think his numbers are flashy enough to get in, but I think what he's doing is important to recognize, like the impact he's having. And especially because I think he's... Like, he's the obviously not the first guy on the Jazz team. Like, he's mm-hmm. not their, their first option. Obviously, Donovan Mitchell's going to get a lot of that attention. And I just think he goes underappreciated. So Yeah, 
Um, those 6.3 win shares at about half the season put him on track to get about the 13-14 he's had in the past two seasons. So he's been right in line yeah. with his really good years. Yeah. And I think last year he was snubbed yeah, as well. Yeah, he should have made it over yeah. Draymond last year. 100%. Yeah, it, it was a very odd decision to leave him off. He was uh, emotional about it, as I yeah, remember, I remember, too. That. And I think if the Jazz are able to stick in that two spot for the next few weeks, then it, given the bench is voted on by coaches, the coaches could recognize that, okay, we know how good Gobert is. We have to game plan for him all the time. Mm-hmm. However, Ingram did go over and over at him last night, so <laughs> that might help his case, too. What about Jokic? Is Jokic make it? Yeah, I, I really think Good that... Someone from the Nuggets has got to make it. Yeah. Like, yeah. what, are they a three-seed right now? It's not going to be Jamal Murray. He just got injured, I think. Yeah, he got injured. On, he landed badly on his, on his ankle. Yeah. He could be out for a few weeks. Like, obviously, Jokic isn't playing as well as last year, but... He's starting to round in four. Yeah. Literally. Is that a <laughs> I think in this form is round. Fine, he started to spelt in the form of that. No, he had a game where he put up like 43, 7, and 5 yeah. about a week ago. He led, this isn't a huge, like, big banner thing to say, but he led the Nuggets back from losing to the Warriors, and they won last night. He's helped them stay on track by scoring more, so I think... He, he did have a really odd yeah, start to the season, start. Really but he, he's rounded in, and that happened last year, too. He didn't have a flashy start, and then he started to play really well. Mm-hmm. I guess, thinking about, as you said, he's about the three seed. Would you put the Nuggets in the group that, come April or May or June, could be one of the teams that actually stresses Milwaukee? I guess before that, you guys are all in agreement that Milwaukee right now is a team that's kind of pacing the race. Oh, yeah. It's not, even, it's not even close. Yeah. yeah. They have a, a pretty significant lead in the East, and yeah, they've, I mean, they have like seven losses all year. It's crazy. So who do you think might be able to compete with them? Uh, well, I might be a little bit biased. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I knew it the minute. <laughs> <laughs> I, I might be biased, sure, but this has actually been something I've been, I've been saying all year. And, like, obviously, you know, my team's been frustrating this year to watch, but we're 4-0 against Milwaukee and Boston, the top two seeds in the East right now. Actually, sorry, the Heat are the two right now, the Boston and Miami keep flipping. But we're 4-0 against Boston and Milwaukee, and I really like the way we match up with, with Milwaukee. We played him on Christmas, and we kind of destroyed them, and Bede really stopped Giannis. And I think when you can control Giannis, you can beat the Milwaukee Bucks. I don't think there are very many people in the league who can stop um stop Giannis, and I think Embiid, you know, was able to succeed at doing that. So I do think Philly matches up well with Milwaukee in that sense, especially if they're playing at home. And I think they could easily push that to a seven-game series, a six- or seven-game series. Um, So that would be my first team. They have to get there first. They have to get there. That's the thing. They have to get there. Right now we're at the sixth seed, which means we would play Indiana. Indiana's kind of had our backs this year. So if we get knocked in the first (laughs) round, which which would really, really, really upset me, um, we wouldn't even get there. Sad. But we do have the second easiest schedule going forward for the rest of the year. That's nice. We're a good team at home. I think we'll sneak into the third seed when it's all said and done. It's still really jumbled right now. Like, the the two through the six are all, like, two and a half games apart. So, like, by no means is it, like, a couple weeks ago we were the two seed. So, like, it's it's right there. Mm You guys have anyone else from the East? No. (laughs) Not Boston or Miami? Boston uh, played them better decently last night. Yeah, it like, was a close game. Fun teams, but I just don't think they have what it takes to stop Giannis. Do you guys think Philly could could do it? 
I don't know if they could. I think they'd have the best shot. You think of all the teams in the East, they have the best shot? I, I would. No. Really? No, I don't. I think Giannis is going to get his no matter what. I think what's more important is leaving him on that island. If you let him put up about 40-some and then you make Middleton and Bledsoe just disgustingly ineffective... I think that is probably the better way to do this. Really? Because of how few, as you mentioned, Giannis stoppers there are. If I was in a team doing that and I didn't have one, like Boston, they don't have a guy. Yeah. But I think your best option is Marcus Smart. And he <laughs> is tiny and Giannis will eat him. Well, that's the Brad Stevens strategy. That's what he does to teams in the playoffs. So if one good guy, he'll, he'll let them get their 30, 40 points and take away everybody else. That's what he did to us two years ago with Embiid. He let Embiid get his 30 and took away Ben Simmons, and it worked. And I think Boston having four legitimate creators, not even counting Smart, who's actually been an offensive weapon this season, having Kemba, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Gordon Hayward, they can is, create their own it's show going to give Milwaukee's defense, for as good as it's been, a lot of problems. It gives anyone, when they're playing at their peak, a lot of problems. I think Miami is a very sneaky one because they've been a, a feel-good team. There's no real disputing that they've burst onto the scene and thus don't have a huge amount of maybe public belief that, oh, they can take this team yeah. down. But we mentioned we were all very in line with Bam Adebayo making the game. Adebayo yeah, sure. could be a guy you could experiment with on Giannis through four, or five, six games, see what he starts to do being matched up. I don't think Milwaukee's perimeter can keep up with guys like Hero, can keep up with guys like Butler, Winslow, Nunn. Duncan Robinson. Robinson will stretch that defense. It's ridiculous to say. He's been so good this year. Yeah, he will stretch the defense. <laughs> I think he's averaging double-digit points, or at least he was last time I checked. And he's the most efficient shooter in the NBA right now. It's not Jordan Poole. Jordan <laughs> <laughs> was on the opposite spectrum. Actually, he's in the G League right now, I think. Oh, did he get moved down? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. That's interesting. Um... If you had to pick, like right now, Milwaukee versus LA, who's gonna win? The Lakers, that is. The Lakers. It would be in the finals. Right. I I find it even with the losses he's had, difficult to bet against the Lakers, based on having a LeBron James who has shown his ability to take over finals games for the past eight years yeah <laughs> and then you also have anthony davis a guy who presents a good matchup nightmare for a lot of guys in the middle are you gonna put brooke lopez on him does Giannis <laughs> take him and you put middleton on lebron it becomes a very interesting chess match and i don't think that milwaukee has that guy on the other end is bledsoe going to punish rondo in the same way that a guy like, I don't know, Kemba could, in the same way that a guy like Lillard would absolutely punish the Lakers for playing subpar guards. I don't know. Yeah. The Lakers are also really good at blocking shots and at defending, and defense wins championships. Toronto did it that way. Golden State did it that way. I think Milwaukee should trade for Andre Iguodala just for the finals. Just so we can guard, uh, guard just so we can guard LeBron. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, um, well, yeah. <laughs> All right, so do we want to transition into some NFL? We got two championship games this weekend. I'm excited. I'm intending to watch all of those. Either yeah. we can come over, I have cable. That's a big draw. Yes, that's true. But you live so far away. That is true. Um, so I can give you my takes on the Kansas City versus Tennessee game. Everyone knows Tennessee's formula for success. They're going to use Derrick Henry. We know this. 
Kansas City is, uh, has the league's 26th best rushing defense in the regular season, allowing 128 yards per game on the ground. Derrick Henry is averaging, uh, like, like averaging in two games, 188 and a half yards per game in the playoffs. Keep in mind that came against New England, who is a pretty significantly good defense. I think this game is going to be closer than we think, and I think Tennessee is going to run all over, and I think they win the time of possession battle. Um, Tennessee's play-action game has been super, super good this year with Ryan Tannehill. His league-best 75.9 completion percentage on play-action. I expect the Titans to stretch the field a few times and make a few big plays. Um, with Brown, you know, they have some weapons. Um, but I think primarily they keep it on the ground and they you let Tannehill keep managing the game. Um, Kansas City, on the other hand, we know they can make plays. We saw how they scored 51 points in three quarters last week. <laughs> 51 points in three quarters. They scored none in the first quarter. Yeah. 50, that's crazy, whatever. Tennessee has a nice secondary. They have Vaccaro, Logan Ryan, and Kevin Byard. And I think they give Mahomes trouble in the beginning. But in the end, I don't think it's going to matter. I don't think Tennessee is going to be able to stop Mahomes and his abilities to just like do the things that are unscripted. Um, Andy Reid is coaching in his sixth conference championship game as a head coach. He's lost five of them. Um, I think he finally earns his second Super Bowl berth. I'm picking Kansas City 27-24. Yeah. The most demoralizing thing in football is knowing exactly what your opponent's going to run and knowing you can't stop it. Yep. And that's what the Titans have done to both the Patriots and the Ravens, who, uh, Patriots obviously have had a dynasty for so long, the Ravens were the Super Bowl favorites this year. So, yeah, you definitely cannot count the Titans out, and I do think it'll be a lot closer than people think. I would bet the Titans not to win but to cover the spread at oh least. yeah seven point spread yeah seven point spread i definitely bet for them to cover but yeah and like you said the their time of possession will definitely go to the titans and the chiefs won't get nearly as many possession possessions as they got versus the texans so they're gonna have to capitalize on the ones they do which they didn't do versus the texans like in the first quarter that's why they went down 24 nothing but when you come back down 24 you have so much momentum, so much confidence going into your next, the next week of playing that I think the Chiefs play maybe the best game of the season and end up beating a really good Titans team. I think, yeah, I, I for one have Chiefs over Titans. There are a few little like creases of this game that I think are worth mentioning because you guys have really covered a huge amount of the bases. How good this Titans run game has been to control the time of possession how they've steamrolled teams that we thought they were going to beat, and how Kansas City has really showed the grit that you expect from a team who wants to be a championship contender to not get flapped early. With that secondary for Tennessee, both Logan Ryan and Adoree Jackson did show up on the injury report. I don't think it was anything serious. Logan Ryan did practice on Wednesday with an illness. Adoree Jackson was limited with an ankle. If either of those guys can't go, you have Tyreek Hill, Mikkel Hardman, Sammy Watkins, Kelsey, Darwin Thompson, Damian Williams. You have a lot of guys that can start to really give that defense problems. And the number for the Chiefs, which I don't think they can do, but if they're able to hold Derrick Henry under 110 yards, which no team in the past season, 16 games of the season, has been able to do, the Chiefs are 9-0 in games where they hold the running back under 110 yards. They're 4-4 four and four otherwise, so it really hurts them. Chris Jones might not play. Frank Clark may. I think a guy who 
there was a clip that was going around, and obviously one play isn't a whole football game, but it really represents how he's gotten back to that level. Tyron Matthew, Honey Badger. He's an all-pro this year, I think, right? I don't think he got that high. If oh, he did, that would be... Was he just Pro Bowl? He probably got into the Pro Bowl, but um, I don't think it's the most ridiculous thing to say he was getting at an all-pro level because he faked that he was going to rush, dropped back into the flat, took away the crosser, and then ran all the way to the other sideline to force Watson out. He alone was doing very impressive things because he wasn't expected to be a coverage safety. He was doing a lot of inside-the-box stuff, and if he's able to take away certain actions that the Titans do, because the Titans love getting A.J. Brown outside. They love to find these little creases that give them yards after the catch. If Matthew's able to shut that down, you're really putting a lot on the shoulders of Mr. Ryan Tannehill of yeah. Miami Dolphins infamy to, to win this game. I think the Chiefs are going to have a bit too much talent. I think, as you mentioned, Flat, they're riding a very important momentum win that will tell them, hell, we could go down two touchdowns again, and we would still be utterly convinced we can win this. Yeah. It's a kind of impressive team attitude that you sometimes look back on the team and you're like, oh, of course, we should have seen that coming that year where they were able to come back or they were able to not fall apart. This might be one of those games where in a few years when you look back, oh, if the Chiefs win the Super Bowl, if they win, you're like, oh, yeah, I, I mean, we should have known. And they came back from 24-0. Yeah, they were just going to sweep through. Because like, you saw the Ravens fold when they went down 14 nothing. They're young. Yeah, yeah they're a yeah, super young team. But, and they're going to be really good, but this year they folded. Can we highlight the atrocity of a coaching job that Bill O'Brien did last week. <laughs> really bad. I really like, that's, like fired. that's a fireable offense yeah. when he did. When you're up, he was up what, twenty four to nothing, and he went for a fourth and four on his own like thirty something with a, a stupid like fake punt that I mean I guess it almost worked, but at that point you're up twenty four nothing, just pump the no ball point. away. There's no point in doing that. And then yeah. you give Kansas City a short field and that gave them all the momentum and they came back and they put up thirty something unanswered and fifty one and three quarters. Like you can't do that. That like he just got so cocky, so ahead of himself. But then he's also sending conflicting messages to his team when he kicked a field goal on fourth yeah. and one on yeah. like the Kansas City twenty something. When they needed momentum. When they needed momentum. So I don't understand the messages that he's trying to send to his team. I've always been like a somewhat Bill O'Brien defender because he's won the division so much. I know the division has been great, but this kind of does it for me. Like I just that was like he's just not ready to coach in the playoffs, or at least like that was just so bad. Since Bill O'Brien's been the coach, how many times has he made it to the conference finals? I don't think he has. Since Bill O'Brien's been the coach, how many times have the three other teams in that division been there? Well, the Luck, Luck did it. Titans did it this year. And as good as he is in the regular season, he cannot coach to the level of a someone who gets to those rounds. I agree with you completely. I think it's pretty clear. Even in the offseason, when he was like, oh, Jadavion Clowney for Barcavius Mingo <laughs> and Jacob Martin because I'm not going to hire a general manager because I think I know better. He thinks he's the smartest person in the room, and last week was one of the clearer examples yep. of how deficient his football knowledge is and how much he's wasting a roster of that kind of time. Yeah, seriously. I, but the thing is, like, can you hire somebody better, do you think? There's a lot of football minds out there, but like Bill O'Brien has consistently gotten his team to the playoffs, 
it's just like, can you hire someone better, or else, or are you um, gonna hire, like it's a, it's kind of a risk, you know? Because he's a good regular season coach, like yeah. objectively he is. Like the Lions took a similar ish risk with Jim Caldwell to back to back nine and seven seasons, and they hired someone that they thought would get them to the hump of winning playoff games and competing for Super Bowls, and instead we're three twelve and one this year. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's a worthwhile question. We're all in agreement though of Andy Reid getting to this. Super Bowl yeah. appearance. Oh yeah, I want Big Red to win one so badly. I Who would he have to play? That's the question. I'm rooting for the Chiefs all the way. But yeah, <laughs> let's let's dive into Green Bay, San Francisco. So let's first well let's highlight last time that these two teams played, San Francisco absolutely walloped the Packers. It was a score yeah. of thirty seven to eight. That was in San Francisco. Um I honestly think we get another one sided contest. Really? I do. Gonna go in the same way? Not nearly as bad, okay. but it'll be one-sided. San Francisco is on a roll right now. They handled the Vikings pretty easily at home, and we saw the ruthless San Francisco pass rush against a pretty mediocre to weak offensive line of the Vikings. Um, with a, another week and, a weak and banged-up offensive line in Green Bay, I think Aaron Rodgers is going to be under duress all day. Um, the Packers have had a nice an under the radar year, in my opinion. Like, would you guys agree? No one's really talked about them that much. They were thirteen and three. They had a new head coach, but people were focused on San Francisco and and you know the Saints. Like, I feel like the Packers have kind of flown under the radar, and they're all of a sudden the two seed in thirteen and three. Aaron Jones is a touchdown machine, um, and Rodgers has played well, not great, but he's played well. Traveling across across the country has not voted well for the pack this year. Two of their three losses came on the West Coast, the other being another pretty significant loss to San Diego, who's obviously a the mediocre Los team. Angeles. Sorry, Los Angeles. <laughs> oh my god, I can't believe I just Los Angeles. The, the, the Chargers, yes. Thank you. But I think this game is going to be close early, but I think San Francisco is too physical, too multidimensional for Green Bay's defense to stop. Um, you know, San Francisco has that trifecta of running backs with Mostert and Tevin Coleman. Um, I think they're going to run all over the pack. It's going to be another typical Jimmy Garoppolo game management game. Game manager game. He'll throw a few passes to Kittle. He'll get Debo Samuel involved. But I think the running game wears him down. I'm going to take San Francisco 34 to 20. Yeah, I also have the Niners blowing out the Packers. I didn't put a score, but I thought it'd be a similar but not as bad game as early in the year. And uh, I, from what I've seen. The Packers rely a lot on Aaron Jones, and yep. under three losses, he's had 38 rushing yards, 30 rushing yards, and 21 rushing yards. And the 38 was last time against the, the 49ers, and I think with that front seven of the 49ers, they're so good that they can contain Aaron Jones. And then also, the Packers have no one on defense who can guard George Kittle. He went off versus them last week, last time, and I don't think they'll have an answer again. So yeah, I think that sets up a 49ers first Chiefs Super Bowl. I guess we're. This should be a show about hot takes. So I'll switch a little bit of the prediction oh, online then, ooh. because I have it as a close game, <laughs> and I even mention how I think if this is a close game in the fourth quarter, that the Packers would win it. I think there are a lot of things that go into that because you guys have made the really very obvious points that a lot of critics have been on TV shows, on analysis morning shows. They got. They have dismissed San Fran every now and then as a legitimate contender based on oh they haven't been here before oh they haven't done this oh they haven't done that. This team didn't look like they gave a hoot about that when they just kicked the tar out of the Vikings last week. Mm-hmm. They really played a great defensive game, which let them play their offense the way they do. 
Kittle has had some lingering, I think, ankle pain this week. That could factor in if he's not 100%. I still think he'll play, and I still oh, think yeah. he'll do very he's well. Tough. He's so he's tough. tough. I don't know why you guys are so down on this Packers defense, especially since the Smiths in their D-line both had two sacks in the playoffs last Zedarius week. and Preston? Yeah, very That's good true. players. That's so true. they could oh, yeah. start to They're give some rushing. trouble to the Niners. I think Jair Alexander and Kevin King are great guys on the boundary, which is going to leave it basically to Kittle and the run game to get through, and that's how they've succeeded. But something that's been common in any team that gets to the Super Bowl is having to taste defeat before they get there. And this falls under the same kind of shimmering umbrella of narrative that I'm going to get to for these next two points. Whether it was the Panthers the Seahawks, the Broncos, the Rams, or the Falcons. Basically, any team that wasn't the Patriots that has made the Super Bowl in recent memory. Not Philly. I guess Philly might be an interesting one to well, consider. We lost the quarterback, too. so that's kind of an L, I guess. Were you in the playoffs the year before? We, uh, no, we no, were 7-9. Yeah. and nine. That was the okay. first year. That's just fascinating. Year. I'd say then Philly is the only outlier based on a team getting to the playoffs, losing, and then coming back the next year to make the Super Bowl. I'm saying all year, though, San Fran reminds me of that Philly team. This San Francisco team reminds me of that Philly team a lot. Yeah, they could be the one. I think that would, again, they'd be the second out of about seven good teams that would have done it. It's very rare to right. do so. Right. I, I've can't get away from the idea of Aaron Rodgers, someone who is from the Bay Area, wanted get picked from <laughs> wanted to go there, said so on draft night. If there's ever a game that he would, you know, play like everyone knows he can, remind the world of how good he is based on just sheer willpower alone, this would be the game. This would be the one again. It would be the hindsight of twenty twenty. We're like, oh, he was in the NFC Championship with maybe his last best chance to win a Super Bowl against the team that slighted him, a guy who thrives on like these little petty things, as you can tell. He's by, so petty. Yeah, <laughs> he, he's, he holds grudges for so long. That's why he hates his family. I, I'm <laughs> about to say that. Shouldn't this be exactly the kind of game that Rodgers turns into like his... Elway type ending legacy. This should be it. This should be, yeah. And so I think that's the one thing that narrative is such a weak and arbitrary thing to say, oh, the narrative is really leading there. It's not the narrative when Kansas City absolutely kicks the hell out of a team and scores 51. That's just points. That's Mm -hmm. just good football. And so that's a little different. It is a bit of narrative when you're saying all these outside of football things are going to affect Rodgers. But football is still part of the greater part of the world. Mm-hmm. It is still affected by these outside emotions. And we just might be in store for a Rodgers game that, as a Lions fan, you'll hate. As, <laughs> hey. Yeah, as any fan, you might not love. He's going to have to get past, though, a line that gets 17.3% sack rate when D. Ford and Bosa are rushing. League average is 6.5%. If he's going to do it, it's going to be against probably the second or third best defense yeah. since the Legion of Boom. That's I, what I'm saying, Richard dude. Sherman on Devontae Adams. He's going to have to count on more second-tier guys like Lazard and Jimmy Graham and Valdez yeah. Scantling. Yeah, Marcus Valdez Scantling. Well, so, yeah, that that's an interesting point that you make. And I don't know, I think, I think it's going to be a pretty interesting weekend. But do you guys think that um, 
Chase Young will be better than both of the Bosa brothers? From what I've heard from Ohio State coaches, they said he is. Glad you've been talking to them. Uh, well, from what I've <laughs> seen on social media. <laughs> yeah, okay. Oh, yeah, they're recruiting me too, so. Oh, for Frisbee? <laughs> yeah, for Frisbee. Yeah. No, I think he presents a very aggressive pass rusher that is going to put... I think Joey came out very hot in his rookie year, but when I've seen a few videos that looked back at that season, a lot of the sacks that he had got were very easy sacks. Yeah, it was blown, like... The line was so flat-footed. He just blew right past them. Even on, like, two or three, I think, just guys opened up, and he was like, oh, there's the quarterback and nobody else. Young has a good shot. I think, now that we've talked about Joey Bosa, he's another guy that I could honestly put on a list. And it's a sad list that we'll get to. He's a guy that could be going down the Gronk, Keekly sort of route, the retiring early. Mm. Because of some injuries he's had, he's kind of constantly been plagued, and he's in his third season, so it's very it's, it's too soon to consider him. Yeah. But I don't know. Let's see. Keekly, you guys, I mean, I've heard certain members of the Michigan Men's Ultimate Frisbee program say that Keekly is not a first ballot Hall of Famer. I, I think he is. You think he is? He's only played like eight years. And I know he made Pro Bowls, he made four, five all he made like I know he, the dude was an absolute beast and on, honestly the year. if he played another seven or eight years he could literally be, be the best <laughs> be one of the best middle linebackers of all time. Why are you yeah, laughing? I don't understand. Because if he played another seven or eight years, that's doubling his yes. career. Yes. If a guy made ten first team all pros, well, he's not pro bowls, <laughs> he would be the okay, greatest but, defender of all but time. I, but I'm not saying that that trajectory would happen because he's going to get older. He's 28. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying I think he legitimately had a chance to be one of the best defensive players of all time, like Ray Lewis level. I mean, I don't think like I'm not shaming the guy for retiring early, but I just how can you? Like, longevity, I think there's two ways to evaluate, like, Hall of Fame, like, players going in the Hall of Fame. It's like, you can examine their peaks, which pretty much his entire career has been a peak. Mm -hmm. Or you you can, seriously, or you can examine the longevity and, and, like, the lifespan of the player. So I think it depends on what you want to do, and it seems like you're taking the approach of, let's look at this player at his best and see how long his peak was and see, you know, what he was doing during that time versus, like, his overall longevity. So, like, you can look at Larry Fitzgerald, for example, who we can all agree is a Hall of Famer. Oh, first round. And, yeah, but, like, he hasn't, his peak has been done for years. His peak was probably shorter than Luke Keekley's, but the mere fact that he's setting all these records because of the length of time that he's played is going to propel him into the Hall of Fame. And I think that speaks a lot for the NFL, considering that player lifespans are so much shorter than in other sports. Yeah. And, I, and I kind of, I lean towards the latter approach of looking at how long a player has been playing in the league as, a, as opposed to evaluating the player's peak for those reasons I just mentioned. So that's why I'm a little bit hesitant. I think that Calvin Johnson deserves to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, even though he only played... Played, what, nine years, ten yeah, years? Yeah, nine. Mm-hmm. And he's in a similar... He's similar to, similar to Keekley, I think. Yeah. Similar to Keekley. Yeah, I think... It, I, I know where you're coming from. I, I get the idea that he didn't play for a while. I think when you look back at linebackers of the 2010s, you have guys like Patrick Willis. Bobby Wagner. Bobby Wagner. He retired early, too. Willis Nav- retired early. Yeah. He did. Navarro Bowman and Keekley is clearly the best four. 100%. I think they'll eventually get in. I think they'll get into the hall in their lifetimes. It won't be the kind where you have their like next of kin there to accept it. Maybe he doesn't get in the first ballot because you're right. He didn't play for a while, but... He was five times on the All-Pro first team and second, 
uh, two times on a second pro team. So it, seven, it, wow, that's yeah, crazy. He, he was very impressive year in and year out. And with the NFL, it, we may have been spoiled with Brady and Fitzgerald guys every now and then who seem to be this, like, huge example of what it should be, but they're, they're the minority. Well, a lot more often football players come and go on a much shorter time clock than a lot of other sports. But Hall of Famers, like, Luke Keekley would be, so, like, probably one of the shortest careers that'd be in the Hall of Fame. Like, I'll give you another example. Think of a guy like Frank Gore or, like, Adrian Peterson. Those guys peaked years ago. Frank Gore was never, like, the best running back in the league or anything, but he's going to be a Hall of Famer simply because the dude is playing at age 36. Adrian Peterson's a little bit different because he was the best in his peak, like, his five-year peak was really, really good. But the fact that he's still putting up a thousand yard seasons right now after what, like an ACL tear or two, like makes me even more willing to put him in the Hall of Fame. Like if Adrian Peterson retired when he was 29, are you still putting him in? 28 or 29? I'd have to look exactly at sort of his peak and how he had done, right. but depending on how high it got, I think he was pretty clearly the best running back in the league during some of those years and yeah i think he deserves then to probably go in so then why don't we put then why don't we put guys like chris johnson in the hall of fame he had a really short peak like three years was the best running back in the league for a few of those years had two thousand yards i think or a top whatever running back top three but i think chris johnson is just he's different than keith cleveland he only had three good years right he had eight yeah that's true that's true I don't know, I think it's interesting though, like especially with this trend, like guys like Luck and Gronk and Baldwin. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think Luck gets in. No, exactly. No. But the quarterback is different. Yeah. I feel like quarter, like there's so many quarterbacks you that would have to go in before Andrew Luck does. I you know, I, I think there's no argument for Luck to yeah. go into the hall. I mean obviously he probably would if he would have stayed. Yeah, potentially. Like, if he played another eight year. years, yeah, hundred yeah. yeah. percent. But I don't know, it's it's interesting and I think going forward we're gonna see guys Finishing college, um, more like Juju Smith-Schuster left when he was like 19 or 20, like our age. So he didn't finish college when he went to the league. I think we're going to see guys finishing college and then going to the draft and then retiring when they're like 29, 30 and having a college degree. They're going to play for their one big contract, kind of like um, Luck did. They're going to get their millions, you know, they're going to make 60, 70, 80 million, whatever it is and then retire. And then if you're Andrew Luck, you'll have $100 million in the league, and you'll have a Stanford degree, and you could do whatever the, whatever the hell you want with the rest of your life, or you could just kind of chill. Mm. And I think that's a trend we're going to see for, yeah, for players of that, that caliber. Yeah. For players of that caliber. You know, Hall of Fame, Pro Bowl level slash Hall of Fame trajectory type players, I could easily see this being a trend. Especially with a lot of the information coming out, you know, about the head injuries and, and all that, you know, bodily harm type stuff. Mm-hmm. I have three names of guys, just because as I think I look over years, so we have the same four players: Gronkowski, yeah. Baldwin, Keekley, and Luck. Here are about three guys that I think could be ones that could think about retiring early. This is not to spread any bad voodoo magic, juju, any curses, <laughs> any hexes, any of that. This is simply looking at their injury history and understanding the guys are retiring earlier. J.J. Watt yeah, is a guy definitely. that. I could see he's had the torn pec this year that he miraculously came back. That was crazy. Play. That one, oh my god! How did he play? He tore his pec like two months ago, and he played in a playoff game. Yep. that same year. Unbelievable. That's crazy. He's had micro fracture surgery on his knee. That's a typically very debilitating one. He's had back surgery. He's been roughed up. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be shocked to see him call it quits. Odell Beckham Jr. That's who I was gonna say. Yeah, <laughs> I, he's had his broken ankle. He had his sports hernia this year. 
he's not built to take a huge amount of hits. He's not a guy that you can have like Kittle or like Kelsey in the middle. Obviously, they're different positions, but even like, I don't know, guys like Julio Jones or Michael Thomas are a little more built to take hits. Mm -hmm. So I would wonder. And Odell is a big enough star that Odell could also quit and continue to be relevant. Yeah, like getting an arrest warrant on Barstool. <laughs> that, that was quite <laughs> stupid. The, the police officers in that LSU locker room were looking to be the news story instead yeah. of the LSU team by asking them to stop smoking cigars and say they would arrest the players there yeah, or by be. putting an arrest warrant out for something like that. And Odell, obviously, don't slap a cop's butt. <laughs> but just, yeah, I, I, I thought that was a little extra. Odell's one, and Julian Edelman mm-hmm. is another guy. He's had different injuries. He's you know, he had suspension earlier too, but this year he had three different things basically that he's having surgery on after the year. He had a rib issue, an ankle. The third one's escaping me right now, but I mean, if Brady were to retire, I don't know why Edelman will stick around for that rebuild. He didn't he yeah. tear? He tore his Achilles a few years ago too, right? He had an, was AC, an ACL. He had an ACL, ACL. too. Yeah, so yeah, he's been banged up. Yeah, he missed it almost almost an entire year, maybe an entire year. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. A guy that comes to mind for me. Um, and this is like he's kind of speculated about it and talked about it before is Jason Kelsey mm-hmm. um, You know Jason Kelsey is 31 right now. He has a year or two left on his contract. I think maybe till 2021 he Has made three all pros in a row. He's in uh, you know an elite center right now But he's talked about retiring a lot. He's been he's had some injuries over the course of his career nothing super significant, but he's done pretty much anything that you know any players would want to do he cemented himself as a big name in the league as a you know a top tier center he's won a super bowl and he's made a good amount of money so i wouldn't be surprised at all if he retired from the eagles you know this year next year um at age 31 which is pretty young for an offensive lineman would he be the kind of guy that you could put into the like hall of fame has kelsey been that good i simply haven't watched that much so I think, I, I guess that's a question, you obviously watch the Eagles more, would you consider putting him in the Hall based on what he's done? He'll definitely be in the Philly Sports Hall of Fame, there's yeah, no question. Sure, sure. Hall of Fame, again, in order for me to put him in there, I think I'd have to see him play for another five or six years, especially at this level. Like right now he's peaking, like he's made three All-Pros in a row, he's, play, he's made a bunch of Pro Bowls right now in the past couple of years, so I'd have to see this peak go for a little bit longer if I'm going to put him in, no mm-hmm. question. All right, let's get a few quick sort of hitters as we're wrapping up NFL. I think, Flat, you should do the honors of the next one. You seem very jazzed on this. Yeah, so I was talking with some of my friends earlier about this. Uh, As a Lions fan, the question is, if Stafford was on the Titans, are they the favorites to win the Super Bowl? And... (laughs) <laughs> Obviously, you probably know what my answer is. I think they're overwhelming favorites. Wow. <laughs> and I think there's a lot of teams who are quarterback away from being a Super Bowl contender, and Titans are one of those teams. I mean, they're contending right now, but I think they would win if he was on the team. Through eight games this year, on a roster that went 0-8 without him, uh, which further emphasizes how little he had to work with. <laughs> 2,500 yards, um, 64% completion, 19 touchdowns and five picks, which if you just double that, because he played in eight games, um, that's nearly 5,000 yards, 38 touchdowns, which would have led the league to 10 interceptions. And Ryan Tannehill is a game manager. Like He's done a fine job. He's done what he's had to do for the Titans to win, but in two playoff games, he's thrown for 160 yards. 
if the Titans had someone like Stafford, who in his three playoff games, yeah, he's 0-3, he's thrown for 908 yards. If they had a player like that on their team, I think they'd be unstoppable. And in and Stafford's 10-year career, he's had nine games where his running back has rushed for 100 yards, <laughs> and he's 8-1 in those games. If he had a Derrick Henry, I think the Titans would be unbeatable. Wow. And, and like he's had one top 15 defense in his career in a season, and that was like the 2014-15 season when mm-hmm. they went 11 and five, and then lost that controversial game with the Cowboys. Oh, hey, I was so mad. <laughs> yeah, I was so mad. Uh, I mean, I'm sure you were more mad, but that, that upset me a lot. Yeah, and I think Stafford deserves so much better than Detroit. And <laughs> if he was on the Titans, they would win the Super Bowl, and I'd put my entire bank account on. Wow. It. See, I don't have too much to say about this, but. It's difficult for me to evaluate because, like you mentioned, Stafford has really never had a good running game. Mm -hmm. He's never really had a running game at all. Like, it really hasn't been good. The reason I would say no to this is because I think Stafford turns it over more than Tannehill does. I know you mentioned that this year he was having a good year, but he's thrown double-digit interceptions every year that he's been in the league, um, except for the two years he's been injured. Yeah. Uh, I was just going to say, I think the Titans' formula for success right now is long sustained drives with an occasional big play and minimal turnovers. There's no question that Stafford can make the big play and, um, you know, when they need it. But the turnovers thing would kind of concern me. So I'm not sure Stafford would succeed in this system. Um, I'm sure you disagree. I know you disagree, but I don't know. I I think think it's tough to evaluate. This system has gotten to a conference championship, but if they want to win a Super Bowl, I think they might need it plus quarterback, a top a top 10 quarterback, like <laughs> Matthew Stafford. <laughs> I'm going to read some numbers that might hurt you. Oh, no. And these are only numbers, but I, <laughs> I, I looked at them, and the more I looked at them, the I more I, I got really confused. This is <laughs> this comparing the 2019 years that they had, and I know that he was injured, but... It, was this, so th- was this yeah, this year or last year? They was going to be looking at 29, basically 2017 through 2019 staff. Oh, because he had a bad year, 2018 mm-hmm. to 19. Was that 2019 sophomore year of college for me? Yeah, this is his age, 29, 30, and 31 season. Okay, he had a bad year that year. We're going to be looking at <laughs> Anna Hill's age, 28, 30, and 31 season as well. Um, completion percentage... There's only been one year that Stafford's been better. That's, I think, just yeah, a result I mean, of their offenses. He's gunslinger. In terms of touchdown percentage, uh, the past two years in Miami and then Tennessee, we've seen Tannehill go up to 6.2 and 7.7, where Stafford has had 5.1 in 2017, 3.8 in 2018, and then 6.5 in 2019. Looking at air yards per attempt, in the past two seasons, Stafford got 8.1, 6.7, and 9.1. So he's putting it in the air a lot. That main argument that Tannehill's a game manager doesn't hold up in this category because for air yards per attempt, he has 10.2 in this year. Okay. They've played for the Titans. So he's put some in the air. His QB rating has been better. He's at 117.5. That's higher than any of Stafford's past three years. Even, yeah, he, he gets, like, close. Um, game-winning drives. In the past three years, Stafford had four in 2017, one in 2018, and one in 2019. He had eight drives in 2016. Yeah, so let's push it to eight. Let's even push it there, because I have the stats for it, too. So that's 
So that puts him at 11 compared to the 14. They seem to be fairly close in those numbers too. If you take away that eight, then Tannehill has a clear numbers advantage, even if you took, he took, he's tied with Stafford if you took away this year's amount of game when he drives as well. I think that Tannehill is probably having his Joe Flacco goes to the Super Bowl type season. <laughs> that he's been so good for him up to this point that objectively as football players, no. I don't think it's close that Tannehill's anywhere towards Stafford, but maybe this was just the perfect storm they needed, and upsetting this sort of perfect system of events would leave them in a different position. Objectively, if you're looking at just like on paper football talent, yeah, they would have been a clear favorite to go maybe 12-4, and 13-3 from the beginning of the season, mm-hmm. I think, and would have, they would have easily won that division. Imagine them getting a bye and then playing. Are you talking about the Titans with the like Titans if they had Stafford, all year? The Titans with Stafford from the beginning. With, is what oh, with, Sta- yeah. with Stafford all yeah. year. Yeah, with Stafford, he probably has a better offensive line, so he doesn't get hurt. These yeah. are, of course, hypotheticals. They're things you have to consider. I think on the QB topic, unless there's anything more you guys would... Well, I just wanted to point yeah, out sure. that I think it's interesting. Like, I know Flat's a little triggered right now after all those stats that Rowan just read off. But I think it's interesting, like, I feel like you can just manipulate the numbers. Like, Flat just presented a bunch of numbers that supported his argument around to the same. So, I don't know. The biggest for me was Tannehill put up 160 yards in two games. Oh, yeah, yeah, like, that's the thing. But then then again, like Rowan mentioned, maybe that's just, like, that's what the Titans need. That's, like, that's their formula. That's all all, all I have as a Lions fan. (laughs) Speculating (laughs) on whether or not a hypothetical scenario that can never happen. No, I do the same thing with, like, would Wentz have won if if he didn't get injured? I do the same thing. It's easy to do. Except my team actually won, but (laughs) sorry, Flynn. Yeah, I think right before we jump into the MLB, we could probably hit on, if you're starting a franchise today, on the idea of quarterbacks, um, there are two dudes who have gotten a lot of attention this year in the entire football realm. Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow, who you got? If you are a GM, oh, okay. if they hire you for some reason, for some fresh reason. Out of, yeah. a fresh out of college, fresh out of college, twenty-something-year-old who's never played. <laughs> they must listen to the podcast. They're like, oh, these guys are smart. Flat was playing high school football, so he has the best argument of any of us. Okay. <laughs> Who'd you take? I played high school tennis. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm still taking Lamar Jackson. Um, an interesting tidbit of information that's a little bit like speculative. A first overall pick has not won a Super Bowl since Eli Manning, who was drafted in 2004. That means that between 2005 and 2000, and what year? 19 was the last draft. There have been 14 years that a Super Bowl a quarterback who's drafted first overall hasn't won a Super Bowl. Lamar Jackson is 19 and three in his regular season career, which is insane when you think about it. That's two years. He's only lost three times. Granted, he's lost twice in the playoffs. I know he's had two bad playoff games, but that doesn't really discourage me. Like Rowan mentioned earlier, teams will lose a lot before they actually win. Think about Peyton Manning. He lost a bunch in the playoffs before <clears throat> before making it to the Super Bowl and winning. I think Lamar Jackson's the safe bet here with, who you, with whom I'm going to start my franchise with. And I'm trying to be as objective as I can because I know Lamar Jackson's in a really auspicious position right now with a great coach and a really good team surrounding him. But I still think Lamar is the safe bet here. I mentioned earlier how I think that his he's probably the best passing running quarterback we've ever seen so far. Um, the fact that he gets so much zone coverage thrown against him has made him such a better passer because if they play man, he'll just run. Um, I think Burrow maybe has more upside. Um, you know, he reminds me of a hybrid of 
of Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, and Josh Allen. <laughs> Is he God? <laughs> he, that's what I'm saying. I think he could be. Like, I, I legitimately think he could be. But I think Lamar's the safe bet, and I'm a risk-averse person, so I'm taking Lamar. Okay. I, I'm going Joe. Interesting. Oh, here we go. So, I think they're both going to win a Super Bowl at one point. But hmm. we've seen guys with, uh, like, well, we've never seen a guy as good as Lamar Jackson in terms of running quarterback, in my opinion. Maybe Michael Vick. But Lamar's a better passer. Yeah, than like Lamar's a better pa- passer. But we, yeah, we've seen guys like Vic, RG three, even like Kaepernick, Cam Newton, who have had their moments for short periods of time, but eventually got injured. And I think Lamar will have his moment for a longer period. But I think eventually, five, six, seven years past that, I don't, I don't know how much I can trust him. I think eventually the injuries will come. But with Joe Burrow. I think he could be a guy with 10, 15 years, be a solid to elite quarterback in this league, and that's really all you can ask for out of a quarterback. And and just put a good team around him, they'll be successful. And that's my argument for Joe Burrow. You didn't mention Russell Wilson in that list of running quarterbacks. Well, he doesn't run like those guys ran. Like, he can run, but he doesn't (laughs) use it like those guys. Fair enough. He doesn't take the hits that they do. That's true. Rowan? There was a worthwhile sentence he had in there. Besides all the good analysis, I think is very key to this. That Burrow and a good team around him. Yeah, I mean, he's getting drafted by the Bengals, so that would really I, I be think, difficult. If this argument is a hypothetical neutral, yeah, right? Yeah, hypothetical yeah, team that they'd be like they both be drafted. You, you're drafting either Lamar Jackson or Joe Burrow right now, and you uh, you have mm-hmm. a team around you. Very average yeah. team, which one do you pick? Right, exactly. It's in a vacuum. Yeah. It's a case of two guys who, in the past two years of their football lives, have shown huge leaps. Mm-hmm. Lamar went from being a very good college quarterback who wasn't immensely accurate, but won with his legs. Year one, he showed some interesting wrinkles with his legs and some solid passing. To being an accurate passer who could read coverages, fit it in holes, and was a big two-way threat. He had a huge jump from year one to year two. He's in his early 20s. Joe Burrow went from fairly average at the end of the LSU season. I'm pretty sure he led them back in a bowl game at the end of that season, too. He showed some grit to having the best statistical quarterback season in college football ever. Yeah, yeah. 60 touchdowns or something. And that's a huge jump up. We're talking just these ridiculous... I mean, you're going from the bottom floor to the penthouse in one bound in mm. a year. And if you believe that Burrow's going to be able to maintain this trajectory, then that's the risk you have to take. I will be curious to see how he plays when all of the chips don't fall exactly kind of as he wants. Yeah. Because what, he was... Bengals? Even the Bengals, but on a team where he didn't have this perfect storm of a coach who believed in him, they were a healthy team on offense. Five seconds to throw in the pocket. Yeah, we had time to throw. Wideouts that were too fast and too sort of disciplined for the college game. Of course, this is in a vacuum, but I think I would take Lamar based on the impressiveness of him addressing those weaknesses and sort of the, the caution, I feel, for Burrow having not seen him do much. Yeah, and Lamar's done it in the NFL. Right. All right, boys, shall we uh, get into some uh, some cheating MLB teams? <laughs> cheater, cheater, <laughs> punishment. Ooh, yesterday was wild. Oh, my God. <laughs> yesterday was wild. Oh, my God. 
I thought the punishments given to Hinch and the GM, I forget his name. Uh, Lenau. Yeah, Lenau. Uh, I thought they were fair. Because they weren't the ones who did the cheating. I, I think I think Corey deserves a lifetime ban. But I think Hinch and Lenau, they they knew about the cheating and they... I mean, Hinch like smashed the, the, the screens. screens or whatever, but like I think a year... I thought it was I don't really believe in taking away titles because like those memories happened, the parade happened. You can't like it's kind of meaningless. Like Louisville got their title in 2013 basketball taken away. It means nothing to me. Like they still won it. Michigan didn't win that title. So I, it doesn't bother me that they didn't take away that title. I think I think Beltron deserves to be suspended. Uh, I do think the players, like some players, if they if they know who cheated, I think players should have been suspended, too. Like they didn't really release any. They said players were known for organizing this cheating scandal and like the the statement they released, but they didn't say any names. But if they know who those players were, I think I don't know how long they should be suspended. Maybe eighty games, like like the first steroid user or something like that. But. Yeah, overall, I thought the punishments to Hinch and Lenau were fair, and these World Series, these past two World Series with the Red Sox and Astros winning will be thought in the same light as Barry Bonds' home run record, I think. Oh, so I would like to be more penal <laughs> on these teams than you, Flat. Um, and I want to, I'll first start off by saying your last point, how you think it's like Barry Bonds. I disagree completely. You have one guy named Barry Bonds who's taking roids and juicing, and he's adding a couple wins to his team, and he's, he's only impacting the game one out of every nine you know, batters in the lineup. Whereas you have a team, an organization-wide cheating scandal that literally, you know, to our knowledge, like multiple players <clears throat> were impacting you know, the game that way. It's not just one player, it's multiple players. So I think mo both franchises should be punished more severely, and I think that this is more significant than that. To me, I don't see what's going to stop teams from continuing to cheat this way until the penalties are stronger. Like, you have two options. You could serve a year suspension and win a championship or not win a championship at all. I feel like a lot of people would just be like, oh yeah, like I'll do this. If you're not preventing teams from winning by doing this, then what's the incentive for people to stop? Um, in terms of the players, I really lost respect for a lot of the Astros dudes that I've liked, the Altuve thing. I know you yeah. have seen the the thing where he hits like, the... Don't take off my shirt. Don't take off my shirt. Like, yeah, he hits the home run off Chapman, and then, and he, then runs, straight he goes straight to the dugout. dugout, and then he comes back out, and then he, they ask him, like, hey, why they, like, were you telling your teammates not to take off your shirt? And he was like, he gave a nervous laugh. He's like, oh, yeah, like, my wife, got, my wife gets upset when I do that. I'm like, dude, like, that's <laughs> just BS, and you know it. Yeah. It really upsets me, and, like, if Bregman was doing it, if Reddick was doing it. And, it. and it makes sense why Garrett Cole wanted to get out of there. Um, mm. it, it really upsets me, like, and just, like, the integrity of the game, it, it really is not good. Um, I think we can, like, the buzzers aren't confirmed yet. Maybe they, I, I don't know, it's, like, a lot of speculation, but multiple sources on Twitter, like Trevor Bauer and, and some guys' burner accounts have confirmed it. But all in all, I think that the MLB needs to take more action in punishing the players and the managers associated with this, but they also need to maybe take action inside of stadiums, like reducing the num number of cameras or the number of monitors that teams can have in their dugouts. Um, I just wasn't content with the punishments given. 
I think it would be kind of hard for the MLB to monitor as much cheating, because if you really want to cheat, you're going to find a trash can to bang on, you're going <laughs> to find a new way. I think there are a few guys I'm really curious about as the fallout of this. Do you think Beltron is going to get a manager job after this? I don't think so. Uh, it'll be tough. Maybe in like a year or two, but I, I mean, I wouldn't hire him, but of I any, feel like a team could. Of any team that wanted him, the Mets wanted him the most, and they fired him. That's so, true. Yeah, that's true. But they they also could have like foreseen league punishments coming. Like it was like a mutual part. So like maybe that he would have been punished anyway. Like I don't know. What about Hinch as a manager? I could see Hinch being rehired. Okay. I think Core is done. I think Core. I think Core is probably done for sure. I was possibly. <laughs> I'm getting to Core. Yeah. Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> totally fine. I think given you guys are more knowledgeable about baseball. You think Cora could be in line for something like Pete Rose, where he's yeah. banned for life and has a black mark on his baseball life? Yeah, because he's easily. affected two championships. Mm. Yeah, the Astros and the Red Sox, and it's just ironic that those are the teams that won two years yeah. ago. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't think Cora's going to get a job anywhere else. I think as a casual baseball fan, I would self-admit that I don't know the intricacies of the game as well as you guys do. It's kind of a black mark in my view for the sport that the most we hear about it these days are either things like cheating, are the balls juiced, declining park numbers, like all these different things that aren't about like the joy of the game as yeah. much. And it this this could be a pretty black mark on modern baseball's yeah, ability to I agree. as it enters the future. Yeah, they the, can't afford this to happen. It's bad for the yeah. game. It's really bad for the game. The NHL expands and they've done a great job in like southern markets but i don't see it as like a huge worldwide sport mm -hmm. it does in europe and here it's kind of hard to play this game and to grow it in the same way you can grow basketball or soccer soccer is undoubtedly the world's game basketball is pushing as much as they can without offending autocracies like in china <laughs> to be the world's game <laughs> But baseball has been a very worldly game for a while, but in the country where it's most famous, in the United States, it's starting to lose ground to other oh, yeah. sports. And so how can um, like two of the three last World Series champions being cheaters, cheating players such as Hugh Darvish, Clayton Kershaw, that Dodgers team, Aroldis Chapman, yeah, Aaron Judge, cheating other stars, other franchises, other fan bases out of what they deserve, I, I just can't see this being a good look. And I, I fall more on Ringo, your side of it. I don't think the sort of mandate was set to not keep this cheating going yeah, in other ways better. for years to come and in a way that will continue to hurt baseball's relevance. Yeah, we'll just never know the extent until what like their cheating helped them and how much it helped them if it yeah. really gave them the World Series or if it was kind of a eh, whatever thing. Mm -hmm. And we know that the league believed like some of the testimony that some of these players were saying and now with this buzzers thing coming out, do you think that the league will actually punish guys like Altuve because or, well, or is it confirmed or, exactly yeah. but or is it double jeopardy because they already said like there wasn't really any punishments for those players. You know what I mean? So like they're gonna possibly like new information is coming out and the guys didn't admit to it earlier so could they get punished now for it for something that they had our league already said no we're not gonna punish you for that with this new information i mean oh, the first thing that popped in my head was really dark 
it was uh, Ray Rice back in the day. Like it was, there were reports about it, and but they didn't. The NFL didn't do anything, and then once the video came yeah, out, yeah. then the NFL suspended him, and he hasn't been played like snap since. And I think the buzzer, like banging on a trash can, is one thing, but having buzzers under your jersey telling you if it's a fastball or off speed would help so much. And yeah, it really would. Right. And, and it's helping, it's literally helping multiple players on like multiple at-bats in a row. It's not just one or two guys juicing yeah. in your clubhouse, you know? So. It's, when it's an organizational-wide problem, I see it as so much more, like such a violation of integrity. And it just bothers me that the league hasn't done as much as I would have liked. But anyway, if we're good on that, do we want to just touch on the uh, not-so-hot free agency really quickly? Sure. Um, <laughs> we have like five quote-unquote big name free agents left, but they're not really as big. Marcelo Zuno, Yasiel Puig, Nicholas Castellanos, Hunter Pence, and Scooter Jeanette. This time last year, we were sitting in our rooms thinking about where Bryce Harper and Manny Machado were going to end up. I wasn't doing that. Rowan wasn't doing that. <laughs> but, we were. But Flat and I were. Flat and I were. Um, it's interesting that this year they happen so much quicker, especially considering that Boris is still the agent for a lot of those guys. Um, but I think we've probably passed the peak of free agency. Everyone pretty much big has signed. You know, there hasn't been as many trades as I would have thought. Donaldson just signed, and I think he was probably the last big name guy to sign. Yeah, and it's I not mean, really that exciting for the. It's rest like of the year. Twins will maybe lose in four games instead of getting swept to the Yankees. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you think any of those five guys, Azuna, Puig, Castellanos? Pence or Gannett, do you think there's any spot that would leave them as like a contend, like it would give a baseball team a further contending sort of step up, or do you think they're all going to be guys that don't really help the bottom line for a team? I think Hunter Pence could actually have a pretty significant impact. He was a pretty good bat for, I think he was on, uh, on the Rangers. The tech, I was going to say Houston, Texas last year, mm-hmm. um, and he was putting up pretty good numbers. I mean, I think any of these guys could, in theory, like none of these- like two wars. Right, like none of these, none of these guys are gonna like change a franchise for like the deal that they get. But I think like some of them could be like either a nice bench bat or like a pretty average starter in the league or like slightly above average, but I don't see them being like game-changing players. Yeah. Or season-changing players for that matter. But like a lot of teams I'm sure would love to have guys like this on on their bench or on their team. I just think that these guys probably, you know, value themselves at you know, this level, the teams only value them here. Like a guy like Hunter Pence maybe wants like a two-year deal with a third-year option, but the team doesn't want to give it to him because he's in his 30s, you know? That's probably mm-hmm. where we're at with a lot of these guys. Or Scooter Jeanette, he's been injured, you know? Teams don't want to sign him. And we obviously know the issues with Yasiel Puig. And Castellanos <laughs> doesn't want to go to an it. NL team because he can't feel So, like, there's issues with all these guys. <laughs> Ozuna, like, he got traded to like, the Cardinals, but he wasn't as good as he was in Miami. So, it's like, you know, there's issues with all these guys, but, yeah. You want any of your hometown teams to sign any of these guys? Uh, Tigers could use all five. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that. That would be a bad idea. Phillies? Do you um, think any of that would fit? Let me think. Uh, I could like Ozuna or Puig might not be a terrible idea. Our outfield is a like McCutcheon's coming back from the knee. Odubel Herrera has like been designated for assignment because of his domestic abuse issues good and i think yeah i agree with you and i think that our outfield's a little thin right now especially like with mccutcheon we don't know how like his knee might be stiff so i think we could sign one of these guys for bench bat jay bruce is still a little banged up so yeah one of those outfielders could possibly help but none of these guys are like oh i really want them you know mm-hmm. yeah i'm in the flat but i'll take any player that <laughs> has a name that i somewhat recognize in baseball to come on the mariners <laughs> 
we are a dumpster fire. Oh, yeah. Tigers lost 120 games last year. <laughs> oh, that's so rough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you got anything else on that? Uh, yeah. I'm excited for next baseball season. There's going to be a lot of angry teams. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, I want to see like even Trevor Bauer is just gonna like lose his temper one day and just throw it out to Bay or something, or like, yeah. like or like uh, like a Roldis Chapman throws like a hundred and seven mile an hour heater at like Altuve's back or something. Yeah, it just breaks him in half. Like he like breaks the record on a hit by pitch. Like. Yeah, <laughs> we could see that. Yeah, no, literally we could. <laughs> Next pod before the Super Bowl, Super Bowl preview pod. I think we got to make that happen. And yeah. we have to have our reactions to the Pro Bowl. <laughs> yeah. I'm not We'll have our much anticipated pro <laughs> reaction next week. Signing off, I'm Rowan Kent. Sam Ringgold. Ryan